Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Well, Dr. Scripture, in today's program, we're going to continue the study of creation in the book of Job. And over the last couple of programs, we've considered a significant portion of Job chapter 9, which focused on the mighty power of God and how that power is revealed in creation. Yes, and in Job chapter 9, it wasn't only in creation that God's power was revealed, but also through the control that he exercises over the flow of history. Yes, especially as it relates to the rise and fall of nations throughout history. And you know, Scott, we generally think of God controlling the rise and fall of a nation, the world power, so to speak, when we think of Egypt. And for example, the progression from Assyria to Babylon and then Persia, because those nations rise to power and then their takeover by another power was predicted before the events even occurred, for example, in Daniel or in Isaiah. But even in history, after the end of the New Testament, we see God's hand in the rise and fall of various nations' dominance. For example, one of the turning points in history closely related to the control of the colonies in the New World, and thus eventually the United States, was the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588. And I remember from my history studies that storms played a huge role in the destruction of that superior naval force that Spain possessed in those days. I remember reading that too. Yeah, and as a result of the destruction of the Spanish Armada, the British Empire became the dominant world power, ultimately resulting in North America having a significant Protestant influence instead of Roman Catholic. And I'm convinced that God was intimately involved in those circumstances through his control of the weather in those days. Well, you know, Dr. Scripture, I've been thinking a lot lately about God's control of historical events during World War II, Mm -hmm. which not only allowed Hitler to rise to power, but in some cases prevented the successful assassination of Hitler. Well, and I'm not surprised about that, Scott, because I remember that you just finished the performance of a play. Everybody out there in Radio Land, Scott is quite (laughs) the thespian. And uh, Karen and I enjoyed watching him perform in a play about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yes, the play was called The Beams Are Creaking. I did not play Bonhoeffer. I played several other smaller roles. Yeah, a bunch of different Some good guys, some bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) And what I learned was that he was actually involved in attempts to assassinate Hitler. Yeah, Bonhoeffer was a high IQ theologian, Mm -hmm. professor, and pastor. And he certainly was a believer, I think. Yes, and initially the idea of conspiring to kill someone was offensive to him. Yeah. But he got sucked into that whole idea because of, you know, what he saw going on around him. And at least in his mind, he reasoned that this was the lesser of two evils to take this man out at the right time, I didn't realize how many attempts there were on Hitler's life. And of course, Bonhoeffer wasn't involved in all of them, but he was involved in some of them. And a lot of times it was dumb, you know, what we might call luck that prevented it from happening. (laughs) There were no preventative measures on the part of the Nazis to keep it from happening. It's just they planted a bomb on a plane and it failed to go off and things like that. In my mind, those are things where we see God's hand Mm -hmm. in providentially protecting Hitler. That may sound bizarre, but... I just wonder if God did not want a theologian, a person that would be considered a representative of God, (laughs) assassinating Hitler. I mean, he uses different methods than that, you know? And so God did not allow Bonhoeffer to succeed. And another thing that's very interesting to me is that 
Hitler then had Bonhoeffer executed just a matter of days before Hitler then took his own life. Mm -hmm. And so those are just ironic events in history. And yet what I see is God controlling those things to make certain that the way he wants history to play out and the responsibility for taking Hitler out actually fell upon Hitler himself rather than a person that represented God like Bonhoeffer. Yeah, Bonhoeffer lived a couple more weeks. He would have been liberated by the Allies. But when you wrestle with those kinds of questions, I wonder if he had been successful, regardless of whether you think that's right or wrong for him to do it, mm-hmm. that kind of action changes you and yeah, it affects it you. And it also would have a certain kind of a reflection on God, you know, and mm-hmm. the play out of history. So anyway, God certainly does work in mysterious ways, and those are examples of them. But one thing we can be certain of, he knows what he's doing, even when we don't understand at all. And that pretty much brings us back to Job, because Job didn't understand what God was doing to him. (laughs) And thus, much of the book of Job revolves around Job questioning why God has disciplined him so severely. So as you mentioned earlier, Scott, we had considered several details related to creation in Job chapter 9. And now when we come to Job chapter 10, first we see Job questioning what God is doing to him. But then we'll see some interesting references to creation. And in this case, the focus is on God creating man. So let's start reading in Job chapter 10, verse 1. So this is Job speaking. I loathe my own life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou dost contend with me. So notice, Job is lamenting his own life. We've heard this before. He wishes he was never born. And he just flat out says, I will ask God, I'm going to say to him, why do you do this to me? Why do you condemn me? Well, Dr. Scripture, it seems obvious that Job did not read Job chapter 1. He has no idea why all this is going on. (laughs) That's a good way to put it exactly. He has no clue. He just doesn't understand. And then we keep reading here in verse 3. He says, Is it right for thee indeed to oppress, to reject the labor of thy hands, and to look favorably on the schemes of the wicked? Now, this is getting pretty bold. (laughs) He's questioning, God, what you're doing, is it really right? And then you turn around and let wicked prosper. Now, I don't know where he's coming up with that, except that he can look around and see that the wicked aren't being persecuted, aren't suffering like he is. But these are getting pretty bold in his accusations against God, or we might at least say his questioning of God. But what I want to point out here is the terminology he uses. He says, to reject the labor of thy hands. So note that he describes man being made by God's hands. And that sounds very much like (laughs) what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, right? It says, God formed man of the dust of the ground. And the imagery of that is God almost kneeling down and and forming man (laughs) with his hands out of the dust there in the garden. And what we're going to see, even though there's this allusion to the reference in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to find even more direct references in the verses which follow. But what Job says in the next few verses is even more bold. Maybe even the better word would be brash. Hmm. And what I want to point out is what we're going to be reading is an example of some of the things that Job 
ends up saying through the course of the arguments with his friends that God ends up rebuking him for. I mean, you know, we know he started so well at the beginning and he didn't do anything wrong and Satan was defeated in a sense. But what happens after this debate between God and Job, Job then starts saying things that God ends up rebuking him for. And, of course, that happens way later in the book in chapter 38. But now listen to the kinds of things that Job says here in chapter 10, starting at verse 4. Hast thou eyes of flesh, or dost thou see as a man sees? Are thy days as the days of a mortal, or thy years as a man's years, that thou shouldst seek for my guilt and search after my sin? According to thy knowledge, I am indeed not guilty." Yet there is no deliverance from thy hand. You know, in these verses, it's as though Job is accusing God, even taunting him, saying, you're acting like a man. I can understand a man treating another man like this, but I expected better of you. You know, this is the way Job, in a sense, is talking to God. But you can understand how Job is having these thoughts. And I think on a positive side, it's Job speaking to God. He has a relationship with God. I've said this before, God has big shoulders, and I think there are times in our relationship with him that going back and forth like this is the appropriate thing to do, because what else can we do? Uh, We have to get that out and get Mm -hmm. it off our chest, so to speak. Let's be honest, how many of us have never had these kind of thoughts that Job is having? Yeah, and Job is just speaking them out loud, (laughs) and in fact, in an audience, and of course, then his friends get all on him for saying these things. So then we come to verses 8 through 12, and here it seems like Job is reminding God how fragile he is. That is how fragile Job is by talking about how he was made. And what we see Job doing is he uses the same kind of language we read in Genesis chapter 2. So I think we should understand that Job had some knowledge of the revelation concerning creation that's back there in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. So now listen to how he describes how he was made. Job 10, verses 8 through 12. Thy hands have fashioned and made me altogether. And wouldst thou destroy me? Remember now that thou hast made me as clay, and wouldst thou turn me into dust again? Didst thou not pour me out like milk, and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? Thou hast granted me life and loving kindness, and thy care has preserved my spirit." So these are some very interesting descriptions that Job is using about how God made him. And there's a very interesting word that's translated fashioned in my verse 8. And it only occurs one other place, and it gives us even more depth of what Job has in mind about how God created him. The sense of the word is to make a copy. Hmm. And we get that idea in the only other place where this word is used, and it's in Jeremiah. I'm going to read Jeremiah 44, verse 19. The context isn't so important. The people in Jeremiah's day are simply trying to make excuses for their idolatry. And so listen to what they say. And said the women... When we were burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and were pouring out libations to her, we made for her sacrificial cakes in her image and poured out libations to her. That word translated image is the same one that's translated fashioned in the book of Job. And so the idea is, you know, they're talking about making something that looks like her, a copy of her or an image of her. So Job understands that he is created in God's image by saying, thy hands, in a sense, copied me and made Mm. a copy of you in me. 
Thy hands fashioned me and made me altogether. What an interesting idea. And again, I want to impress upon the listeners that Job understood he was created in God's image. And another interesting word then that Job uses is found here in verse 9, where it says, Thou hast made me as clay. The word clay is a word that I think carries that imagery of the potter bending over and forming man of the dust of the ground. And that word clay occurs elsewhere in Scripture with that context of the potter involved. I want to read Isaiah 29, verse 15. It says, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, Who sees us or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made should say to his maker, he did not make me, or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding? Here in Isaiah, we see the context of that clay representing the body of man and the image of the potter. And what's really fascinating, Scott, is the word translated potter there is the noun form of the verb that is translated formed in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, and God formed man of the dust of the ground. Truly, it's referring to God as the potter. And so I certainly wouldn't accuse Job of saying that God has no understanding, but he certainly is questioning the Lord. In chapter 10, verse 2, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou dost contend with me. And that's not what I say. That's what Job said. (laughs) 